Coming up on podcast 1926, V4 superchargers arrive in the US, the electric VW Transporter and Lucid's Air Sapphire arrives with customers. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. EV News Daily is a trusted source of EV information for the news that happened on Monday 9th of October. My name is Martin Lee and I go through every EV story so you don't have do. We'll kick off with news that my US listeners will be very delighted to hear that Tesla is ramping up its V4 supercharger installations in the US. A new charging station has been identified online in Sparks, Nevada. Before that, Tesla's focus had been on deploying V4 superchargers here in Europe. The first recognized V4s in the US was in Oregon, in Wilsonville. And in Sparks, Tesla renovated an existing charging station around the McCarran Lincoln Way near Raising Canes. Now, refurbishment of existing stations is what they did at their Giga Berlin in Europe. So rather than having a whole new station, they're using the existing connection, if you like, and upgrading the customer experience. Tesla aims to not only introduce new V4 supercharging stations, but upgrade some of their existing ones all over the world. The longer-term vision extends to expanding V4 superchargers through throughout North America. Now, they are designed to be compatible with all electric vehicles. Their design features longer charging cables, because obviously not all EVs have their charging port on the left rear of the vehicle. Their design features also the card readers, which we've seen in the UK. Now, I've not seen the card readers elsewhere. I'd love to hear from you if you have. I couldn't get a close-up shot. Are the US ones coming with card readers? Now, it could be that the UK ones have card readers because we have legislation here, which means you can't install car chargers that are part of a closed network or that you need to get an app to download, etc. Which I think is a great law, actually, to have, that you have to have car chargers that you can tap your phone, your bank card, and just start a charge. And you haven't got to sign up to be a member of anything, which at the minute is how you start a third-party charge on the Tesla app. Not a problem for me. I think the Tesla app is nicely designed. It's slick. It's easily done. You just choose your stall, location, 1A, 1B, etc. And you've got your card already on the Tesla app like you have, I don't know, on iTunes or something. So not particularly onerous, but that might be the reason why they're only doing it in the UK. Let me know if you've seen those card readers elsewhere. Talking of Tesla, the Cybertruck went under the hammer at the Peterson Auto Museum's recent event. It fetched $400,000 for charity. The auction was the highlight of their 29th gala, hosted by Jay Leno. Entry wasn't cheap. A ticket was $1,750. A table, $17,000. A premiere table, $30,000. So I'm guessing if you're in the room, probably not a problem to spend four hundred grand on a Cybertruck. The thing is, though, they don't actually exist. We've seen release candidates in the wild, and we hear that production might be, might not be, possibly could be, depending on who you listen to, what social media account you follow, or what drones have been flying over. Somebody will tell you they're in production. Somebody says, no, 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 these are just the pre-production ones. Now, the museum enticed bidders with a chance to win a so-called low-vin Cybertruck. So it's not even as if they Tesla made a special one for this auction, had it on stage, you could drive it away, have to sign an NDA or something that you couldn't talk about it or show it off in public. They haven't built the thing yet. Somebody spent 400000 on it. Not the first time this has happened, by the way. The Hummer EV 
the EV SUV, went for $500,000 at an auction earlier this year. In 2021, a Hummer EV SUT truck raised uh, $2.5 million for a charity auction. Right now, though, Tesla is not commenting on the official delivery date of the Cybertruck yet to detail the specifications of the pickup as well. I mean, we've all heard rumors of what might be on the vehicle. We know it's going to be a high-voltage platform, so 800 to 1,000 volts. That was confirmed recently in a Jay Leno semi video where actually they're talking about the semi truck and they're saying, yeah, it's the same as the Cybertruck. So that's why the V4s are rolling out the superchargers because they can go up to a thousand volts and we know little things about it, but will it do really decent vehicle to home, vehicle to grid, vehicle to load, offboard power? It's up against vehicles that do that really well. So I think it has to. We'll wait and see. Oh, and it starts at $40,000 if you ordered one. It won't though, will it? I mean, it, it, it's Tesla's playbook. Here's a new thing. We'll sell it at this price, and they never actually sell it. And I'm not being harsh on Tesla, by the way, because, yes, they did sell the $35,000 Model 3 eventually if you stood on one leg and went into a showroom and said the secret password. But look at the Model 3 now with its recent price reductions. Add the federal tax credit, depending on where you buy it around the U.S. as well with state incentives. It's less than a $30,000 vehicle out the door brand new so i'm not being harsh on tesla it's less than 30 grand now i'm just saying that that's just their playbook of when they launch things and they get the buzz and the excitement that's part of what they do so let's talk a little bit about the uk's september plug-in car sales 64,000 plug-in cars registered on the road in september 27 percent up from the same time the previous year it's 23.4 percent of the entire new passenger car market it was 20 percent a year before uh, that is all electric vehicles at 45,000 and the remaining plug-in hybrids it's the 41st month in a row where evs have seen growth on growth on growth. It's a great EV story here in the UK, and I see it all the time. I was just waiting to pull out a junction the other day, and in front of me was an EV. I forget what it was. It had the green number plate. It was an EQC coming around the corner, and I thought, oh, lovely. Uh, and then behind me, I think a, a Model Y pulled up, and there was just the only cars I could see were EVs. And I'm like, yeah, this is probably just going to be the new normal. And I love it. Let's talk about Volkswagen gearing up to unveil an electric version of their legendary transporter van next year. Now, there is not, I'm not sure it's a cult vehicle, but it's certainly the transporter has a lot of love from many people. It's a big departure because the transporter won't borrow the routes from the famed California camper. It'll be founded on a fresh platform done by Ford. You might not have seen that coming, though. The transporter's legacy is undeniable. One of the all-time best-selling vans, and now it goes all-electric. A trip down memory lane reminds us of the fourth-gen Transporter T4. That was on US roads as the Eurovan back in the 1990s. Early 90s, wasn't it? The Trailblazer in its own right. It introduced a front-engine design, a pop-up roof tent, and these design elements continue today. Production plans are clear. Ford's facility in Ottosan will make the VW vehicle. The plant rolls out the e-transit right now for European customers. Prospective buyers can anticipate versatility in their choices. The upcoming transporter says it'll be a nine-seater shuttle or a two-row bus or a cargo van. There's got to be a sport line, hasn't there, at some point? I see the sport, little sport lines flying around, uh, normally with uh, tradies, with tradesmen, who uh, normally electricians or plumbers, you know, the ones that do all right and have got nice vans. Now, offering a nod to their partner, Volkswagen echoed 
Ford's offerings for the Transit. So they'll probably be an all-electric. They'll probably be a plug-in hybrid. There may be a combustion version. You'd think, wouldn't you? On the EV front, you would think very similar specs to what Ford have been talking about. So 230 to 240 miles of range. Very respectable for a van. And that's a great, uh, I think, illustration of Volkswagen working with their partner Ford on that one. Pricing. Okay. Well, the Transit version starts at £35,000, $42,000. So, actually, the Transit's a bit cheaper. Transit's about thirty-three. So maybe the VW version, which they say they want to make the interior just a little more zhuzhy than the Ford version and a bit more VW maybe in places. So I reckon it'll be a couple of grand more expensive than the equivalent Ford, but can't wait for that to arrive and we start to see people take their electric vans into some wild places and using those transporters the way they are at the moment. Let's talk about the strikes that are ongoing. The United Auto Workers halted a proposed walkout at the Texas facility of General Motors. A last-minute agreement included battery workers in the future plans, the nationwide agreement that's being struck. Now, at the moment, many of these future EV battery facilities weren't part of any union plans because they're often, uh, they're not wholly owned. So often these battery plants that are stepping up. Hello, that was my cat. What are you doing? Yes, this is, well, one of the cats. This one's Molly. They're both rescue cats. What have you knocked over? Okay. Well, I'm recording, so I have to carry on. All right. All right, fine. So at the moment, the battery facilities are largely out of the union's um, plans, but they very much don't want to uh, lose all of those battery workers and then have to try and unionise later. Uh, It sets a precedent that the UAW can now use against Atlantis and Ford, I would think. The complexity arises because of these big three automakers doing joint ventures with people. Now, the UAW's interests also includes pay hikes and pension increases, as well as unionising future EV facilities. Now, for some context on this, an Ohio-based factory co-owned by General Motors and LG did join a union last year, or the union last year, without a broad agreement for EV workers. Every new plant would face an individual organisation challenge. Traditional car makers are no strangers to unionised labour. Tesla, of course, is the outlier here uh, because, well, they are the in the US, the topmost EV maker at least. And they're firmly against unions, have fought unions. Elon Musk has had to delete tweets on Twitter before because you're not allowed to not allow your workers to organise themselves. While Tesla operations remain unaffected by the strikes at the moment, I will tell you about a story now. Well, let's move on to the next one. Uh, The Gigafactory in Berlin is raising support for unions. IG Metall, a dominant force in the car industry in Germany, says there's a big uptick now in support at Gigafactory Berlin. Tesla's first brush with unionisation, it's easy for me to say, um, was back in 2017. Now, of course, they've had a base in Germany when they bought Groman just for years, haven't they? They sidestepped IG Metall's influence, if you like. They gave the German employees, when it stopped being a family business and Tesla bought it, a raise and stock, more stock options. Post the announcement of Giga Berlin, IG Metall expressed their interest in it becoming a unionised facility. Fast forward to two years ago, there was a committee dedicated to pulling the Tesla workers into the union, and now over a 1,000 Tesla workers are part of that union. I think there's around 10,000 workers at that facility 
So long way to go before you can call it fully unionised, obviously. But the union supporters make their stance known. They have stickered T-shirts on their night shifts and early shifts. Now, this surge in activity to join the union follows a German media article highlighting a, a concerning rate of workplace accidents at the plant. The union attributes this to excessive demands on workers in suboptimal conditions. Okay, coming up, we'll talk about some news on the Chevy EV Blazer, some battery stuff, which I hadn't fully explained to you before, so I will. Uh, We'll talk about the US Army eyeing electric vehicles as well. Stick around, those stories and more are coming up. Well, if you'd like your podcasts ad-free, you can get them ad-free by signing up on Patreon. It's how we individuals and companies support the creation of this podcast and getting the news out there far and wide. If you'd like to do that, one of the little perks is you get a private RSS feed to pop into your podcast app and it strips out the ads. Now, let's talk a little bit about Lucid's Air Sapphire, their car to take on the Model S Plaid from Tesla. Customer delivery started over the weekend, just gone. The Air Sapphire makes 1,234. Yes, one, two, three, four horsepower. That's no coincidence, is there? 0 to 60 in 1.89 seconds. And so it's significantly quicker than a Tesla Model S Plaid. Lucid celebrated the milestone with a media event at Sonoma Raceway for the media to get behind the wheel. Uh, They talked about the 900-volt charging system. They've retooled the front and the rear springs, the bushings, the anti-roll bars, even the steering software. The in-house developed torque vectoring control. The algorithm's all updated and the traction control updated as well to control all that extra power. They've redesigned the front and rear suspension geometry to make it more of a performance car. They've got new adaptive damper control software, new tuning for the ABS, stability, brake boosting and the electronic power steering. They've got carbon ceramic brakes on it, now with an aluminium roof to decrease the overall weight and change the centre of gravity lower. Performance specs reveal the Air Sapphire is uh, also able to do 0 to 100 miles per hour in 3.84 seconds. I can't even comprehend 0 to 100 miles an hour in 3.84 seconds. Does the quarter mile in 8.95 seconds. Efficiency-wise, well, you're never going to be the best of the best by going for performance, but it's still crazy good. 3.61 miles per kilowatt hour. So it'll still do 430-odd miles on a single charge, which is kind of lucid speciality, isn't it, going a, a long way on the battery that's in there. Oh, but as Tesla fans would point out the elephant in the room you can now buy two model s plaids what with the recent tesla discounts for the price of one lucid air sapphire what would you have let's talk tesla's china ev sales now we do get the chinese numbers coming out monthly which we don't get elsewhere they sold seventy-four thousand evs from giga shanghai last month in september now that was an 11 percent decline on the same time the previous year but Let's also add some sense to this. They are retooling for Model 3. They're retooling for Model Y. We've got the new Model 3 uh, coming off the production line. And so those China-made vehicles were always going to have some disruption. It was only down 11% year-on-year, but 12% from the previous month in August. So the production halts were expected. The factory upgrades were expected. And yes, they did miss the market predictions for Q3 back on October 2nd, but 
maybe the market got it wrong. Tesla is the primary exporter of EVs made in China, currently under investigation by the European Commission. Well, the European Commission is looking at vehicles made in China because it's cheaper to do that and then ship them to Europe. Subsidies for battery-operated vehicles from China. And not just that, but very cheap financing, which is how Tesla accessed the money to build Giga Shanghai. Uh, So a lot of very cheap Chinese money to build it, the land being made available, and so many other, I would say, soft subsidies in China. The European Commission look like they want to take a stance against that and possibly import tax those vehicles. So if you're going to buy one, then keep an eye on the news because we'll know it's incoming. Uh, But also, other Chinese automakers would be affected. So despite the downturn, let's be honest, they still delivered... 247,000 uh, vehicles in Q2 out of Giga Shanghai. It's a, it's a million vehicles a year factory. So, you, you know, have some sense about this. It's an incredible achievement. So the Blazer from Chevy is a car that I've talked about a little bit. And recently, I did, I'm aware on the podcast, I, I mentioned that it doesn't charge as quick as its competition at 150 kilowatts. Thank you very much to gmauthority.com for putting me right on this because there's two battery sizes, which, yeah, I'd missed. Because if you get the Chevy Blazer RS version, the RS rear-wheel drive has a 102-kilowatt-hour battery pack. That's a big upgrade on the 85-kilowatt-hour battery that you get in the 2LT, that's the all-wheel drive, and even the RS all-wheel drive. So the range for that big battery is 320 miles on a full charge. Not EPA, that's estimated range. Nice quick onboard charger of 11.5 kilowatts. But on a DC fast charger, it will do 190, which is more like it. So yeah, if you want the big speed on the Blazer, they're now making that vehicle, and it's now heading into customers, then... You know, not in big numbers, I know that, uh, but get the big battery, get the big charging speed as well. 85 kilowatt hour battery, 150 kilowatt charge speed. That's still very good. That's like twice what my Hyundai Kona will do. So I know I wouldn't kick it out of bed. Uh, the Chevy Blazer EV built on GM's BEV3 platform using the Ultium technology. They've, that's what they've called not only the batteries, which they originally did, but all the sort of drive motors and stuff. It's all the Ultium technology, they say. Currently making that at the GM Ramos Arispe facility in Mexico. And if I've got that massively wrong, then my Mexican listeners can say, you're an idiot. That's not how we say it. I wouldn't mind that. All right, talk about last couple of stories. And this is great because even the army is going electric. And when the army goes electric, because, you know, they're probably not going to be at the forefront of taking a punt on new technology because the consequences of getting things wrong on the you know, on the on the battlefield are big. So the US Army have got a program now to prototype electric light reconnaissance vehicles. They said that they've procured several EVs to assess them for potential operational compatibility. They bought a Hummer EV. They bought a platform vehicle from Canoe. All right, that's a very small-time player that hasn't got their act together yet. And they bought a truck from Lordstown. Oh, yeah, that Lordstown. So really, ignore the Lordstown one. Ignore the Canoe one. So really, they've bought a Hummer 
right, which is a pretty much of an outlier vehicle. Didn't buy a Rivian, didn't buy a Ford F-150 by the look of it. Uh, I didn't get, a, you know, a Silverado reservation in, or even, you know, talk about the Tesla Cybertruck. But all right, that's fine. The findings from these evaluations will be put into a report which the army will base and influence their upcoming thoughts on. Oh, no. Why did you buy a canoe and a Lordstown US Army? Uh, hybrid and full BEV vehicles are on the table. And I, you know, I think it makes sense for the army to have some sort of hybrid offering over the course of the next decade. Now, the environmental strategy for the army unveiled earlier last year, actually, in 2022 highlights the plan to integrate electrification into their uh, vehicles, the goal being to introduce uh, all hybrid or some sort of battery into tactical vehicles by 2035 at the latest. But, yeah, well, these things always happen sooner, don't they? Like one of the vehicles that they're looking at uh, that they could use is the Polaris vehicle. Now, the Polaris is an electric off-road vehicle, all electric. They have their Ranger XP kinetic vehicle, and their production is in place, they say, to align with federal mandates and move to zero-emission vehicles. The Ranger XP kinetic is being put forward as an alternative to the kind of vehicles that the Army might use, like traditional pickup trucks and off-road work vehicles on military basis. And we're not talking about going into battle with these, but just what can we do you know, day in, day out to electrify the army? Compared to combustion versions, EVs like this would have, they say, 70% less maintenance, huge cost savings, also decreased cost of total ownership, and obviously the carbon emissions benefits. The vehicles like the Polaris have a range of, it's about 80 miles on that before it has to be recharged. But look, let's think about what they're talking about here. Use on military bases, use for getting around, a full day's work on things like security operations, uh, emergency response detail, maintenance of the grounds, of parks, management of training ranges and things like that. You don't need any more than 80. It's, it's fit for purpose and it's designed for purpose. And then you slow charge it overnight on AC, hopefully cheap rate. And that sounds like a great solution. Hey, that's your podcast for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our premium partners, Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Porsche of the Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley from Nevo.ie and the Nevo EV Review Island YouTube channel, Octopus Electroverse, global public charging made simple with one app and one map, and lease plan electric moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Well, have a good one. I'll see you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid.